0: Welcome to an, uh, another edition of the Litigation Psychology Podcast. <clears throat> Dr. Bill Kanaski here, your host today. This podcast is brought to you by Courtroom Sciences. Check out the website. Good stuff. Articles, blog, this podcast. Got a great guest today. But before I do that, you know, I, I got to go on my rant. Have a rant every week. And, uh, my rant. this, this is a serious rant. We've all, we've all been through this. I'm just, I'm sick and tired of it, but it's this, um, you know, this whole inflation thing and the cost of everything going up. Now this particular problem is getting worse. I'm a big fan of the fruit bowl for breakfast. Okay. Get my egg white omelet, maybe with some spinach in there, always have some cheese, right. Got to have those two things, your egg white omelet, or like we talked about in San Diego, the breakfast burrito, always a good thing, but I like my, I like my fruit bowl. Right. As a side and the problem with the fruit bowl, which has been a problem for um, for for a very long time is they put all the good fruit on top. Right. So your berries are on top and there's like six of them. Well, now there's four of them. Thank you. Inflation. And then the rest of the fruit bowl is what I call filler fruit, which is terrible fruit. This would be honeydew and cantaloupe. Okay. I don't even think they're officially fruits. Okay. I don't think they're fruits. I think they're filler fruits. I think they're cheap and they put all the good stuff on top. So when it comes out, like you think, like, wow, look at this great fruit bowl, right? You got like two raspberries, two blackberries, a couple of blueberries, a strawberry, if you're fortunate. And then the other 90% underneath that, filler fruit, cantaloupe, and honeydew should be banned. And I'm going to start, I think I may start a petition on this because every hotel is doing it to me. And they're charging me, you know, 950 for the for the fruit bowl don't get me started on that that's my fruit bowl rant for the day zach fletcher is with me from chicago illinois zach how are you today good thanks zach are you are you a fan of the fruit bowl at breakfast
1: <laughs> I, uh i used to be when i traveled um now it's just uh coffee and get to work but you know what i'm talking about right yeah, oh yeah the, fill, for sure. the filler fruit yeah, the filler fruit and stuff that you just don't want to eat.
0: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on a ban on that. I'm going to call Hilton because Hilton has been doing it to me. And I'm a very big Hilton fan. Um, but, man, they've been really getting me with the, uh, the, the filler fruit and the fruit pull. It is, it is making me nuts amongst other things. So, Zach Fletcher, trial attorney, Chicago, Illinois, uh, has agreed to come on the show. Um, and uh, the reason why is we have a mutual friend, uh, Paul Moats, another attorney in chicago illinois and paul had told me uh about uh zach's recent trial victory and i thought hey this would be a good time you know get some get some intel how things are going in the courtroom I'd like to hear about uh zach's case zach is with the firm of wood smith henning and berman uh zach fr- first question um what in the world uh made you decide to become a a trial lawyer? Was, was it always, were you one of these guys, like at seven years old, you were, you know, hey, I'm going to be a trial attorney, or did you go through maybe several other career choices and, and just kind of figured out, hey, you know, this, this seems to be uh, what's best for me?
1: No, I've got a pretty unique story, um, and it was mostly out of necessity that I became a trial attorney. Um, I went to law school, and my goal um, in graduating from law school was to keep people out of court. Oh wow! And uh, and I had some unique experiences in law school that led me down a different path in terms of, um, like my dad passed away on the second day of the bar exam. Oh, and <laughs> and so I found out um, that wow. afternoon as I was taking on the second day of the test. I read this product's liability question. It was about a guy who uses whatever product it gets cancer. And I had to read it probably seven or eight times because every time I read it, it was dad has cancer and is dying. Well, and it just did, like, didn't make sense. Yeah. So I didn't pass it. I missed it by two, three points um, my first time. And so I ended up doing other things um, because I didn't want to put myself through that again um, and have to take the bar exam. And when I eventually did, I was teaching, uh, I was teaching law, uh, business law, uh, criminal law at Roosevelt University. Um, and uh, I just, I decided that, you know what, I just need to do this. And so I, I statistically had a 0% chance of passing the bar exam because it'd been so long. And uh, I think it was like seven years after I graduated. Wow. Um, and everybody I talked to was like, oh, don't, don't, don't do it. You're wasting, you're wasting your time. <laughs> um, and I was just like, you know what? I, fine. I won't tell anyone. And I took the the bar review book that I had, which was like, you know, probably 500 pages, 600 pages. And I copied the whole thing word for word and yeah. by hand uh, just decided this is what I'm going to do. And nobody's going to tell me otherwise. And when I did and I passed it, um, my one of my very good friends was working at a, uh, a civil defense firm um, doing, um, trial work. And he was like, Hey, I can get you a job. And just out of necessity, it was my first job, you know, as an attorney. Um, I did work at the state's attorney's office while I was in law school, it was a seven eleven. but, um, you know, I, I just, I took it and then ran with it. Um, you know, my first week I had, uh, three arbitrations and a bench trial, And that firm that I was with didn't pay me much in terms of money, but I got paid in experience. And once I gained all that experience and had several jury trials, uh, over 10, 12 jury trials, um, working for that firm, um, it was pretty well set that that was what I was going to do. Outstanding. That's a great story.
0: Now, are you from Chicago, the Chicago area originally, or are you a transplant?
1: No, I grew up in Chicago. I've I've always been. Uh, I grew up in Des Plaines, so right near the O'Hare Airport.
0: That's that's where I lived. Where I was uh, I was off of uh, Addis, Addison and Harlem Avenue by the, the Hip oh. Irving Plaza, right?
1: Yep. Yeah. Rolling you ever, Stone you Records. You ever drive by right there, there, there during
0: the Christmas holiday? That's a nightmare.
1: <laughs> it sure is.
0: Absolute nightmare. Yeah. Well, you got uh, you have a casino now over there in uh, the 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 Rivers Casino,
1: right? Yeah, and, and they couldn't have it in Rosemont, so they put it right next right. to Rosemont, just yeah. on the border.
0: I heard that was an interesting uh, town hall meeting on on both sides. <laughs> All right. I'm sure it was. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm unbelievable. Well, that's cool. Um, I kind of miss Chicago, kind of don't miss Chicago. Are you a North Sider? Ya cubby? Yeah. Okay, well, so you're just as disgruntled as, as I am.
1: Certainly. Okay, certainly.
0: As long as we're on, as long as we're on the same page there. Thank you, two thousand sixteen. Um, but yeah. you know, the, the pain just comes right back. It's yeah, you know the 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 halo effect from that, right? The the afterglow from the World Series. Uh, it lasted a couple of years, but now we're just back to criticizing management. So it's a rebuild. It's a rebuild. Don't get me started on the Bears because that would take the rest of the the podcast. Tell us about your firm and the types of law, uh, the types of uh, causes of action that you're involved in.
1: So, Woodsmith, Heming & Berman is based in LA. That's where their home office is, but they have offices across the US. Um, Our office that I'm based out of is in Chicago. Uh, I think we have six or seven attorneys now working in the Chicago office. And um, there are offices in all the major areas, major metropolitan areas, um, Las Vegas, LA, New York. I of have offices in Florida. I think a new office in Texas. Um, we've got—I mean—we're just all over the place. Wow. And um, it, my work is uh, defense work, obviously. Um, but I am not—I I have sort of a broad, um, a broad sense of of different types of litigation that I cover. Um, pretty much anything that uh, the partner in my office comes to me with—that's weird. Uh, or unusual. Um, I, I just, I don't say no very often. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you better learn how to eventually.
1: <laughs> yeah, I probably should, but it gives me a, a lot of experience doing different yeah. types of cases. Um, and this trial is, is definitely one of those where, you know, it was a, uh, a homeowners association case. So. Um,
0: I've, I, I'm working on a couple of those. Uh, they're, they're quite, uh, quite, uh, wild. Can you, uh, I obviously don't mention any, any, any party names, but can you maybe just kind of outline, um, the facts of this case and kind of, kind of take us through, um, your recent experience with the, with the trial process? I think that'd be, I think that'd be interesting because, you know, things have changed post COVID.
1: Yeah, this was, this was a very interesting one because there were, uh, very few settlement negotiations that happened beforehand plaintiff was represented initially uh, by an attorney and fired his attorney and decided to proceed pro se. And um, the Hmm. pre-trial litigation was primarily focused on amending his complaint six times Hmm. uh, and very little discovery was actually done. Um, There was written discovery completed, but no depositions were taken. Um, And then we... we ended up well we made a strategic decision because the plaintiff filed his 213 uh, witness disclosures um, in Illinois and uh, he didn't disclose himself as a witness and so uh, we saw this we knew that trial was coming up and I drafted and filed a motion eliminated to bar him from testifying and um, the court saw it differently uh, because he responded, and as pros say, they kind of cut him every bit of slack that they could throughout the entire litigation. So my uh, defense of the case was um, working in loops where I would, so I filed the motion to bar him under 213F um he filed a motion to amend his disclosures to include himself saying oh well i'm pro se i didn't know and i forgot to include myself <laughs> the court said okay fine we'll let you amend we don't see any prejudice or surprise which were the entire basis of why i said he should be barred because if he was allowed to testify we would be prejudiced and fully yeah. surprised and <laughs> what he had yep. to say um and so we <clears throat> excuse me we got done with the hearing and the judge said uh Uh, Okay, that's it. And I said, well, judge, I need to file a motion, uh, make make a motion rather to uh, continue the trial. um, And uh, I would also like to um, depose the plaintiff. And the judge said, well, we've got a week before trial, so you can do it. And I'll continue the trial for one day. So we got a one day continuance. (laughs) And we did end up deposing him uh, beforehand. He was the plaintiff was based in uh, Florida, he had moved out of state. And, uh, so we deposed him and then we went to trial and there were no settlement negotiations because the plaintiff, um, he gave us a, a settlement memo that said my case is worth 5 million, maybe eight to 10, but I'll cut you a deal.
0: Of I course. Take...
1: Of course. <laughs> and, and it was so generous of him. <laughs> what, a, too.
0: what a discount. Hey.
1: Yeah. His discount <laughs> was, I'll take 1.35 million and non-negotiable. Uh, and i just, wow. you know, how do you respond to that? You, what a great you just deal. To trial. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, so we had a pretrial conference scheduled uh, to settle or to talk about settlement with the judge. And the, uh, we filed our, our uh, position statement and the plaintiff canceled it and said he didn't have any time to prepare, which I didn't quite understand because either he has to say, yes, I'll accept what you're offering or no. Um, it's pretty simple from a plaintiff's point of view, I would yeah. think. Um, So it was stricken and never occurred. And we had sort of hoped the judge would help um, the plaintiff see the light in terms of the pitfalls in his case and the the risk associated with going to trial, which just never happened. So we were forced to go to trial and um, we filed approximately 60 motions in lemonade. Um, Some, a big chunk of them, I would say 30 were substantive and then the rest were procedural. Um, and uh, it was, the the majority of them were denied initially but needed to be revisited um, because the plaintiff was trying to claim personal injury damages in this case. And the, the general facts of the case are that he was um, a tenant in a building that passed a special assessment under emergency measures. Um, to replace the risers for the water, which um, was uh, potable water, so not like toilet water, uh, but it was potable water for the building. Um, and the building, you know, as far back as 2015, had experienced breaks and leaks and uh, pipe bursts that had damaged many of the units. And so they had a uh, uh, an engineer come in and say, "Well, this is a, a hazard." And there's a likelihood of, of, uh, it's an emergency. It needs to be taken care of now. Um, So the plaintiff had a problem with paying for the special assessment. Uh, He had a a problem with keeping up with his normal assessments. And um, rather than paying it, um, he ended up trying to sell, um, which did not go as he planned. This was during COVID, mm-hmm. um, and he was asking too much. Had problems selling, and um, eventually did sell, and then sued the association mm-hmm. and its board of directors, saying that they committed fraud and embezzlement. Wow! Uh, during the process of the um, uh, passing the special assessment, uh, violation of the the Not for Profit Corporation Act, uh, breach of fiduciary duty um he uh violation of the illinois condominium property act and then violation of the federal debt collection practices act Um, and those were his five causes of action and during the constant amended complaints um somehow he was allowed to file a prayer for punitive damages as well
0: that's that's absolutely incredible now is this cook county (laughs) yes which is you know labeled a judicial uh, hellhole was this a jury trial it was a jury trial tell tell me about well i want you to tell me how um the jury selection uh process went and also how you um approached jury selection given that it's you know it's post-covid um you know the whole world and particularly chicago has been kind of turned upside down and on its head and but there's a spin cycle, how how you approached uh, uh, jury selection and and kind of what your strategy was, given that so much has changed.
1: Jury selection, um, which we found out after the trial, really paid off for us. Usually Um, does. The the plaintiff um, asked a lot of questions that were silly. Yep. And uh, I mean, it was clear that he didn't have experience or know what he was doing. But he has questions about, um, he had some quote that he attributed to Spider-Man. Really? And the, Spider-Man, like,
0: uh, the Spider-Man, the
1: Spider-Man Bordaire? With great, uh, <laughs> with great power comes great responsibility. Mm-hmm. And he was asking, do you believe in this? And, you know, he's like, I think it was Spider-Man that said this. And one of the jurors, one of the prospective jurors on the Van Um, the first one, um, blurted out, like, I'm pretty sure a real person said that not (laughs) Spider-Man. So immediately there were, there was some (laughs) question as to his legitimacy of what he was trying to do. Um, but our approach was to try and ferret out bias as much as possible. So I Mm -hmm. asked questions that were, um, specifically aimed at, do you have a condo association? Have you ever been a board member? Um, do you have anyone close to you who's had a negative experience with condo associations? Um, And so we asked pretty focused questions around that, um, which ended up paying off because we were able to get an extra challenge. Uh, One of them for cause was granted um, on a juror who we thought would be pretty badly against us um, if they were put on the panel. And so, the uh, um, we went through two panels. And when the second panel came up, uh, and we were nearing the end of the, uh, the process with the judge, um, we had one more person who we needed to seat on the jury. And there was a tax attorney, a woman who was a tax attorney, and her husband was an attorney as well. And they were two out of our reach. We had one uh, four or one peremptory challenge left and the plaintiff had one left wow. and so we struck somebody um, to get one away from that person um, who they weren't really forthcoming with a lot of information they were pretty quiet didn't the red answer flag. questions
0: that's a red yeah. flag yep
1: yeah so so uh, we struck them and thought and, and I said to my my co-defense counsel um, who represented one of the co-defendants um, I had said um, hey, he's got a, a, a challenge burning a hole in his pocket. I know he's going to use it. And he did. And he didn't think in terms of chess, he was playing checkers. Yeah. And so he was like, well, I'll get this person out because I think they're bad for me. And we thought the, the person he struck would have been beneficial to us. But by striking that person, um, it seated the tax attorney which we found out after the verdict came in that the tax attorney was instrumental in dispelling the notion that because the case had made it this far and gone to trial, Mm -hmm. that it must have some merit. And so the jurors were deliberating and talking about how they felt, well, it made it this far, there must be something to it. Yeah. And she was instrumental in saying, no, that's not the case he has to prove his case. And so, um, you know, that was one of the reasons or one of the ways that we were able to get uh, the defense verdict.
0: That's uh, that's incredible. Great story. Um, talk to me about um, opening statement. Uh, and the, the way we met was that, you know, uh, Paul reached out and said, hey, you know, my former colleague, you know, got a defense verdict. You know, he said he, he read one of your articles about, you know primacy and recency, and open and statement construction, and um, how how did you how did you go um, about constructing your, your opening? I mean that that's a pr- really really important part uh, of a case. Um, I've been studying it, open and statement construction, and the the neuroscience behind it for for twenty years, and I see a lot of mistakes, um, particularly by defense counsel, and uh, how they organize their information and. And it's not the what they're saying, but it's the how and the the when they're saying it and typically the length of time uh, that they're taking. Uh, What was was your approach?
1: My approach was to keep it simple and keep it short. Yeah, Um, I didn't want to confuse the jury or belabor them with facts of this case necessarily. Uh, I gave them a a 10-foot overview of what was going on, Um, but I... uh, when I was drafting my opening, um I pulled up. you have a, um, an article uh, on your website, The Secret Weapons of Opening Statements. Mm-hmm. And um, through my uh, work with Paul, um, I was fully aware, and I, I think I've even had some cases that we've used courtroom sciences uh, when I was working with Paul. Yeah. And I know how effective. Um, your work is, because I've seen it on high exposure cases. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, this is the time for that. Um, and so with potential um, punitive damages, yeah, it, it, I mean, you just don't know where it can go from there. And so mm-hmm. I looked at the article about uh, primacy recency, um, And there were terms in the article, that i really liked um and so rather than getting in the trenches and fighting with well the plaintiff says this and that's really not true yeah i just created our story story and and um and and it was i i had some things in there that i thought might draw objections but he was a pro se plaintiff and it's only objectionable Mm -hmm. if the objection is made yeah and there was none um, so I had the opportunity to use phrases like conspiracy theories, um, things that might not have gotten in if there was yeah. another attorney on the other side. But, uh, you know, I, I, I told the story from our perspective of the Homeowners Association or the Condo Association in terms of we are doing we are working as a team for the benefit of all and um, and uh, this is not a case where you can point to any smoking gun, and say, "Well, here's where the fraud or the embezzlement occurred," because there is none. And so, how do I get up there and prove a negative? It's not by walking through the plaintiff's allegations step by step. I said, "You're not going to hear any of this." And when I get up here in my closings, I'm going to tell you exactly how you didn't hear from you didn't hear any of this. And I, I just ask them specifically to hold the plaintiff to his burden, make him show you exactly mm-hmm. what happened. And if it doesn't make sense, then there's nothing to award him.
0: Yeah. That's um, that's, that's outstanding. I, yeah. I find that a lot of um, a lot of attorneys um, on both sides, uh, actually when they're constructing opening statement, I think there's this emotional pressure to, you know, you know, you you have to advocate for your clients to the best of your ability, and that means more is better, right? Well, no, no, (laughs) no, it doesn't. Um, You know, simplicity um, is my best friend uh, right now in life. (laughs) I wish it always was, wasn't wasn't always. Sometimes I've made things far more complicated, but I know when it comes to explaining a case to a jury that simplicity is best. I think the problem with simplicity is that emotionally as the attorney, sometimes you feel, well, this isn't enough, right? And you're, you're kind of battling inside. Did you have some maybe parts of the opening like, I'm putting it in. Nope, I'm taking it out. No, nope, I'm putting it in. Nope, I'm taking it out.
1: Um, I did. I yeah. did. <laughs> uh, but I ended up keeping it in. And really, it was just, it was a couple lines. Yeah. Um, and, and I just started with it right up front. And I, I, the first words out of my mouth were that the plaintiff's case has more holes in it than a Swiss cheese donut. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, objection.
1: <laughs> <they> object. <laughs> Not a single objection. Um, and, and, and I know as I read through your articles, um, I, I'd seen a lot of this play out because my first job, um, I had a lot of arbitrations that I yeah. handled in Cook County. And th- these mandatory arbitrations are with a panel of three plaintiff's attorneys. So as a defense attorney walking in, I'm already at a disadvantage. Sure. And I'd done enough of them to know that they're gonna fall asleep in 30 seconds. And I'd watched it happen uh, because they're getting paid either way yeah. and they don't care. And so the best thing I can do is, I mean, in those instances, a lot of times I would even wave my opening statement and say, You're going to see what the evidence is in about 30 seconds. Just Mm -hmm. hold the plaintiff to their burden, please. And so because of that, I believed it when I saw it in your articles that you don't want to go on and on. And, you know, it it was something that I just keep it simple, keep it quick, keep their entertainment, keep their focus on me. Um, And it was something that the plaintiff, when he, uh, you know, he didn't move the podium around uh, and I certainly did within the well. I used all of those things that I had learned yeah. um, throughout uh, my experience, and even in in trial and law school. But um, you know, I moved the podium so that the the jury couldn't even see the plaintiff when I was giving my opening. Nice. They would have had to look across the room to see what this guy's reaction or response was, and their focus was entirely on me. And I did the same thing with my closing, where I made him turn off yep. his exhibits. I made him you know turn off the TV, turn it around, and then I move the podium again so that their focus is directly on me and what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of little things that um can have huge impacts I just don't get talked about about a lot. And it goes well beyond you know the words, the content, um, the facts. So uh, it sounds like it played your cards right. I'm glad that the information we had. Uh, was helpful. You know, I speak on that topic a lot. And it's really a fascinating uh, topic, and uh, I can tell you one thing. You know, plaintiffs get a lot of additional training, and they pay a lot of money for it, for you know, storytelling, modeling, uh, ordering of information. Um, and, and I see that as a um, uh, you know, a big area where the defense bar can 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 certainly
1: uh,
0: improve. Well, I, now uh, here's a great question: How long did the jury deliberate?
1: Under an hour. So you like went to get a cup
0: of coffee and you were halfway through and you're like, Oh, yeah.
1: I I had taken three sips and I got the phone call from the, the sheriff. It's a good sign. And I thought for sure, like, well, oh, it's just a question. They're going to have a question. They want to, you know, Nope. Came right back and we've got a verdict. Um, And we had, uh, so we had made several motions um, that were denied and, and sort of working in a circular fashion. We brought up again, Um, Before At the close of evidence, uh, we brought up our directed uh, verdict motion, and um, the court directed out four of the five counts. So they had found that there wasn't any evidence that a jury could even deliberate on the fraud and embezzlement claim, the not-for-profit corporation act claim, the uh, Illinois Condominium Property Act, or the Debt Collection Practices Act. Um, so the only claim or the only cause of action that they were allowed to deliberate on was breach of fiduciary duty. Excellent. Um, and we also similarly barred his, um, his nephrologist from testifying, uh, which was initially denied our motion in limine to bar his doctor, um, which we remade that motion during trial and argued it. And the court said to the plaintiff, do you have any case law that would support personal injury damages being awarded in this instance? And his response was the defense filed so many motions in lemonade. I didn't have time to prepare anything. I I wasn't able to prepare for this, which again was part of our strategy. Yeah. Um, (laughs) It was, you know, file as many motions in lemonade as we can in good faith. Mm -hmm. And, and we kept him busy and, you know, I don't think he was prepared for the uh, the preparation that we brought on the defense side, um, on his side. He just didn't know what he was getting into.
0: In any case, preparation is the key. And like I always say, early, not late preparation. Zach, I got two phone calls this week. I'm going to choke somebody. I'm, I'm going to choke somebody till they turn blue. They call me and they're like, "We, you know, we've got this huge depth you know of our corporate rev like okay well and you need help yeah we need your help. when's the depth you're like next week what do you d- i'm like next next week holy oh. shit i'm like no 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 why 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 well you just you woke up this morning going you know what i think we need to prep our corporate depth that 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 makes me crazy are you are you a fan of of, of early preparation I, I i would hope so
1: absolutely in fact uh that's how, I, how how we came to all of these motions in Lemonade. As yeah. I'm working through a case, for example, I keep an Excel spreadsheet um, that every time I come across something in um, Discovery that I know I'm going to eventually bring a motion in Lemonade on, it's it's in there with reference nice. to the page number um, you know, one of the most frequent things that that comes up in that regard is um, when a plaintiff will complain about, well, I, di- I couldn't do this because I didn't have insurance coverage. Um, that's an immediate, you know, yeah, for me, you couldn't treat because you had you had no insurance coverage. That's a motion to mm-hmm. eliminate, and I've I've gotten it granted many times. And so I'm just I'm constantly preparing early. Um, you know, it's about uh, identifying where the where you could be exposed yes and um and doing that early so that you're not playing catch up and you're not behind the eight ball
0: yeah i mean the sooner you figure out where your problems are you more time to fix them uh more leverage well congratulations on the big uh trial victory i have some i have a couple more questions for you before we conclude and this is this is more for the um the young, I, I, I have a lot of younger attorneys uh, on the podcast. Uh, we have a huge following of, of younger attorneys and uh, they love this podcast because they want to learn. They want to be, they, they want to be better. And um, I like to ask questions about, you know, career development, uh, you know, some skills that maybe you currently use. Um, and the, the first one I have is um, um, what do you do mentally to prepare for, for Well, we, we know what you do physically, right? As far as physical prep for trial. What, what, what do you do mentally to get your head in the, in, in the right spot? Because it's a, I mean, listen, trials are stressful, not just for the client. It's stressful for the both. I mean, all attorneys. What, what do you do to kind of stay healthy? You know, but I guess both physically and mentally. So you, you are, you are razor sharp and focused.
1: Uh, For this one specifically, I was actually dealing with pneumonia. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah, it it was so physically, uh, that was a tougher, um, a tougher place to be in. But I use that uh, and my experience at past firms is, uh, especially when I worked with Paul, for example, we had a lot of trials. And it's not an excuse that, um, that you're not feeling well physically yeah, the, the court doesn't care. No one cares. And so I just got that out of my head right away. And, um, meditation, meditation, uh, is definitely something I try and use on an everyday basis. And it works. It was something it does. It does. It works. And, I need to get back into
0: like, it. I need to get back into it. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm so terrible at it because, uh, I have, pro- you know, the, the hamster wheel has a problem slowing down with me. <laughs>
1: it's it's certainly not easy especially when you've got trial brain going on yeah and you know all you're doing is focused on this set of facts and i mean i i can't tell you how many times i've had other outside things just pass me by um because i've got trial brain and i'm focused on i've got this trial and i need to know these facts and i need to know where everything is and keep everything straight and so meditation is a great way to shut it all out entirely. And um, the other thing I use is music. I'm a huge music fan. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, what uh, kind of music, what of kind of music, music, Zach? Anything other than barking into a microphone. <laughs> Although, I mean, I guess <laughs> there, there are merits with that as well at, at times. Um, if you're, I guess, really angry or something but I mean, I'm, I'm all across the board. The guy at the record store uh, that I frequently go to has no idea. Like I might walk out with a Stravinsky record and a Prince record and a Miles Davis record nice. all at one time. I mean, and just, you know, d- it doesn't matter. Um, Prince, is, but, Prince uh, is
0: one of my favorite artists, by the way,
1: Prince is, oh, really? and,
0: I mean, an amazing, uh, too bad we lost him early. I'm a huge Prince fan, uh, but you know, when yeah. I'm when I'm in, in trauma mode, yeah, I'm I'm hitting the Metallica and the Guns N' Roses pretty hard. I got to tell you,
1: I go the other way. When I'm in trial mode, I need that like uh, maybe Chopin's nocturnes. Okay. Or um, uh, Ray Charles has a couple jazz albums that are really good. Interesting. Um, and so I I just need that like I've got Metallica already going on in my yeah. head, and it's uh, <laughs> like I don't need to ramp that up more. I'm trying <laughs> to cut through that and give myself. 10 minutes of serenity
0: uh yeah i think i I think i think that's good another thing i I would tell trial attorneys to maintain your mental health um before and during trial uh which i violate this all the time and i did this week Uh, i don't want to get this started but i'm going to open up this can of work do do not watch college sports that you care about during during trial because when your team suffers a horrendous upset it's going to throw your game off mentally, and you're going to be kicking and screaming and terribly disappointed. Um, it's it's been a rough couple of weeks for me. That's, that's that's all. I'm I'm just I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm I'm not mentioning names, but yeah, I think mental health is a is is, is a big deal. Staying focused, you know, getting enough rest. And I, I like the music idea. I think that's great. And change it up and do whatever works for you. There, what? How would you just? And you've been down, because so so this firm that you're currently at. Uh, you know, multiple offices, you know, nationwide, but, you know, before you're at more of a, more of a boutique, right? Smaller, um, defense firm from the young attorney perspective. Say, if you're a young attorney and you're deciding, Hmm, you know, where, what type of firm should I go to? Like, what would you say are the, I guess the pros and cons of each, or what are the major differences of, of both types of, uh, work settings?
1: So as a young attorney, I ended up at several firms and I moved around a little bit, but I ended up at several firms where I was paid more in experience than I was in dollars. That's, cr- that's, I know-
0: that's priceless. Rarely is.
1: It, and it is, it is. And at the time, uh, I wasn't really receptive to that, <laughs> to that <laughs> yeah, message. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, when my mortgage comes in and my electric bill. Uh,
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. But now having come out the other side of that um, with a lot of experience that um, many partners don't have in large law firms, uh, trial experience, arbitration experience, uh, even bench trial experience, get it, take it, run with it. Uh, You're learning things that you may not even consciously pick up on um, until after the fact. And so... Mm -hmm. If this is what you want to do and you want to try cases, my best advice is to find the place that will give you that Yeah. and take it. And it may not be, they're not always glorious cases. I had plenty of rear-ender car accidents that I had to go through. Hey, trial's but, a trial. <laughs> right, right. And trials you know how to, you learn how to make those arguments and you can't yeah. get up there and say they went to a chiropractor, they didn't go to a real doctor. Yeah. <laughs> you Oops. may be thinking it you may you may but there's ways of sort of implying it um especially when you're cross examining a chiropractor yeah but it's hard to really get up there and genuinely make that argument because they're called doctor and i've made those arguments and seen them fall flat so i've just learned like don't do that stupid stuff anymore
0: <laughs> yeah yeah okay this is great stuff a uh, final question if you had to give um you just mentioned a few things. Maybe there's a couple others. You you had to give the, you know, the kind of younger attorney, maybe years, what, two through four, right? You had to give younger attorneys, uh, you know, some advice, some guidance, um, maybe what not to do. Maybe what advice would you, what what advice would you give yourself back then? Like, oh gosh, I wish I would have did that differently. Cause yeah, you're going to run into pitfalls and you're, in your career, what, what advice would you give young attorneys what, what not to do? I think number one is don't just pay attention to the money because it is the experience and the mentorship. How about a, maybe a couple of other things to, some pitfalls maybe to avoid or to be looking out for?
1: Sure. Um, you know, the first one I would say is uh, when you're defending and, or, or taking a plan step, for example, um, it's not just a simple march through the facts. You need to be thinking about trial yeah from the outset and you need to be making your uh you need to be getting the testimony that you need out of this plaintiff and by coming out and asking them like do you wear glasses and, and which may be relevant in some circumstances or you know where what's your educational background um and and spending a lot of time on like where'd you go to high school how's that relevant like it's not not. (laughs) and so there's a lot of outlines that you get as a young attorney that will have all of that formulaic approach to how to how to depose this Mm plaintiff and i would say don't do that find the articles that you guys have on reversing the reptile uh find find ways to come out swinging yep and you know, sometimes the best defense is a good offense. Agreed. And, and so you need to start that immediately with your cases when you get them and, you know, to try and wait until you have an evidence step, um, or you're getting into treaters or, or other people's stuff. It's just, it's too late at that point. Start early.
0: Yeah. And the, the fact that you, um, you know it sounds like you did some homework uh, as far as you know reading you know reading reading my articles and probably some other things um, years. too and, and, and you know, you're a younger attorney and so I'm sure the billable hours hanging over your head twenty four seven I imagine you think it's important to carve out some time, whether it be weekly or or whatever to 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 try to get ahead um, on your skill set and your knowledge base, right?
1: I I do. I do. It is important. It's difficult. um, And sometimes it eats into your personal time, but you know, you're left with this choice of, do I want to just float through and be okay? Or do you want to be good or try and get better at what you're doing? I'm not saying I'm good, but I'm getting better. I feel like that is definitely the case. And and each time you go through a trial or an arbitration or even a bench trial, it's uh, another chance for you to learn and um, find ways that you can continue to get ahead.
0: Cram in those learning opportunities. Zach, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This was great. Keep in touch. I'd love to work with you. That would be fun. That'd be great. That'd be awesome. And uh, next time time I'm in Chicago, I'm going to look you up and we're going to have coffee. Cool? Sounds great. Awesome. And thank me. you. Yeah. And no problem. And th- it was a really great story and congratulations on your win. And to our audience members, thank you for listening and participating in another edition, the Litigation Psychology Podcast. See you.